Welcome to the Physician's Financial Checkup Podcast, where we discuss the financial challenges and opportunities facing medical professionals. In this podcast, we'll discuss a variety of financial topics that are important to physicians, such as retirement planning, investing, and estate planning. We'll also interview experts in the financial services industry to get their insights on these topics. If you're a physician or a spouse of a physician, I encourage you to listen to this podcast. We will provide you with the information you need to make sound financial decisions and achieve your financial goals. Here's your host, Brent Bowden, a financial coach and certified financial planning advisor with over 15 years of experience helping medical professionals achieve their financial goals. To learn more about Brent Bowden and his services, visit brentbowden.com. Welcome to the Physician's Financial Checkup Podcast. On today's show, we're going to have a good friend and guest, Andrew Shireberg, who is an attorney at Stages Elder Law and Estate Planning in Northern Kentucky. Uh, But this is his second career. He worked for over 18 years as a police officer, retiring as chief. And during that time, also went to Chase Law School to get his uh, law degree. And he's been practicing for a number of years and focuses on late stage planning and estate planning uh, with clients from a multi, multidisciplinary team of professionals to create a comprehensive plan. Look forward to talking a little bit more about that and how they help individuals and families to look through those stages of their elder care and estate planning on today's show. Andrew, thanks for meeting today. Thanks Looking for forward me. to talking through a little bit of your experience and the elder, call, elder care law planning practice that you have. So tell me a little bit about your background, how you got here. Yeah, so it was a kind of interesting journey. I uh, spent 20 years as a police officer. Um, I got my law degree while I was a police officer. I did part-time law school at Chase. Mm-hmm. Kind of thought at the time, to be honest, I thought I was going to leave law enforcement. I wasn't really happy at the time, <laughs> um, but things kind of changed mid-law school career. And uh, you know, I looked at that law degree as just a tool in the toolbox for when I could ultimately retire. Yeah. Uh, Kentucky had a 20-year retirement system Fast forward a few years and that retirement came and, you know, a couple of years before that, I started thinking about what I wanted to do when I grow up. Yep. Um, and I, you know, I thought about law enforcement and the things that would sort of lend itself to in the practice of law. And, um, you know, I'm also kind of a service motivated person. I like the feeling of like that I'm helping people. Um, and all of that sort of came together with elder law. So I spent some time brushing up on you know, all my elder law skills that I, that I needed to brush up on. Because it's not really a class that they had in law school at the mm-hmm. time. We had a state plan, things like that. Um, I did all that and started the business part-time during basically my last year as a police officer. Launched it full-time as soon as I retired. Very cool. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about that service aspect. So elder care law is something that definitely there's a lot of service aspect to it. You're educating people all the time. So why did that attract you? Yeah, you know... It was kind of a continuation for me, right, of the law enforcement. The law enforcement career, I felt like I was doing good and serving the community. Mm-hmm. And what I saw with, with elder law was really the opportunity to assist people that are going through a time in their life that for most of them is something that is you know, new. And even if they experienced it with their parents, um, things change. Mm-hmm. You know, things can change a lot over a generation. Um, and when I, so when I really started the journey, right, of, okay, this is what I'm going to do, one of the first things that I thought of is I want to do this holistically. I don't want this to be something where people just 
come in and they get their documents and you know we give them a few instructions and, and send them on their way. Uh, so I started doing some research and, and found out that there were other attorneys that felt that same way and, and had felt that way for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an association called the Life Care Planning Law Firms Association. It was started by a guy named Tim Takis in Nashville, Tennessee area, um, probably about 30 years ago at this point. Um, and you know when I learned more about that model of practice, uh, I realized that's that's what I wanted to do because it really centered on, you know, not just the legal needs, care and financial. Now I'm not a financial planner, but the point is we work with people's other professionals. Um, we do have a care coordinator on our team, but you know, in the other in the other aspects, we work with other professionals to make sure the plan that we're putting together doesn't negatively affect the plans that they've put together financially. You know, we. And, and sometimes it's, hey, we, we might need to modify both plans to do what makes the most sense for this person given you know, what their long-term care needs might be or a diagnosis they've had recently, things like that. Okay, so that, I mean, that's great. We do a lot of holistic planning, so fits really well with the type of work that you do as well. What all is included uh, in, in your practice? So you talked about the care coordinator, but you also do estate documents. Kind of yeah. What else does that process look like? Yeah, so we do an elder law and estate planning here. So you know, it really depends on where you are in life's journey. That's not too corny about it, but um, you know we have some people who come in here who just need basic estate planning documents, and, and we do those. But even our basic documents, we we like to include things that we know will help people down the line, um, so that they're not. This is one of those things people kind of sometimes think of as one and done. It shouldn't be that. Right. This is something that should be updated over time. But uh, we want to provide at least some base level protections that if that is their philosophy and they never do come back, that at least there's some protections there. But for our elder law clients, you know, a lot of times we're doing things like helping with Medicaid planning, mm-hmm. um, so you know, some trusts. We're just talking about what what things look like, and you know, sometimes we're doing basic documents, but putting some flags in their mind that if this or this happens down the road, we know, hey, it's time to call Andrew again and talk about that irrevocable trust that we talked about in the first meeting. Maybe it's time for that now. Um, you know, we do the care coordination, so that ranges from you know we have clients who are wanting to age in place at home for as long as they can. Most people, I think, want to do that now. So we'll help them come up with a plan for that. Suzanne, our care coordinator, will visit their house, talk about you know moving that basement laundry that so many people seem to have in this region up to the first floor. We've got some reputable contractors we can refer people to. We'll talk about trip hazards, we'll talk about the use of technology. I mean, that, yeah. that's one of the, I think, really cool developments in this area in the last probably 10 years is the ways we can use an, an Apple Watch or an Alexa device to uh, you know aid our aging population and, and making sure they stay connected, and also if something happens, it's an emergency. They have a way to you know not, uh, as some people may have done in the past, be on the floor for 24, 48 hours. Yeah. So what does that look like too when you're doing planning? How early does that start from a age group? Does it a lot of time have multi generational? You know, how many people do you have that are 30, 40 coming in versus you know, 60, 70. Yeah, I think we have a good mix of people who come in. And, and you know, when, we, when we're talking to the people who are in their, you know, even 20s and 30s, we're more talking about state planning issues. We're talking about guardians for minor children. You know, what can we do with, with their assets to make sure if something does happen to them, that their kids are taken care of, how do we protect it? How do we make it so it doesn't just go outright to the kids on their 18th birthday? Because, you know, most of us remember what our lives were like at 18 and what we might have done with, you know, a large influx of cash at that point in time. So, you know, those are the kind of discussions we're having there. Uh, in the 40s and, you know, 50s, you know, we're starting to have those conversations of, all right, the kids are getting a little older. 
you know, what is what is the overall plan here? Some people are really interested in probate avoidance, so we're talking about revocable trust. You know, that's also starting to get into the time frame where we're having conversations not just about the clients, but also sometimes their parents. Yeah. So sometimes people come in and want to talk about themselves, and then they're like, you know, you do elder law. Well, what about my parents are going through this? And it, it branches into a whole different conversation. And, and then... You know, we have the, the subset of people who are sort of right around retirement, yep. uh, and that's a that's a trigger, I think, a lot of times for estate planning. People who come in and, you know, I did a will when my kids were young because I wanted a guardian, and it, it still names a guardian, and do I need to redo it, and all this kind of stuff. Um, again, that generation can be dealing with aging parents. Uh, and then we do have, you know, the elder law clients who come in directly who say, look, I'm, you know, either I'm, I'm trying to help my spouse, yep. or I realize that I need help. Uh, and those are really the cases where the life care planning model of practice kind shines um, and I didn't mention before but you know with those life care planning clients we actually stick with them for a year so it's not just a documents and done kind of situation but we actually do a, a year-long relationship with the clients that they you know, kind of renew within that year um, to keep that care coordination ongoing to address you know if the plan changes and we need to you know kind of maybe modify things yeah yeah so when's an ideal time like if you're you know looking for whether it's estate planning or elder care planning when should you it was now. <laughs> now is the answer. I mean, and that's, you know, of course, that sounds a little, maybe that sounds a little salesy, but, uh, you know, the reality is that for the most part, estate planning is a back of mind thing, right? Yep. It's a nagging back of mind thing. I can't tell you the number of clients I've had come in here who are like, I am just glad I got this done because I've been putting it off and it's been bothering me and I'm losing sleep and all that kind of stuff. So, so now is the answer there. Um, but, you know, more specifically, you know, I think look for changes in your life. I think that's a good marker. You know, the now is if you don't have anything in place, right? If you have nothing in place, talk to somebody, documents in place. Talk to somebody <laughs> now. Um, but then don't just do the one and done thing. Uh, you know, look at milestones in your life. Okay, the, the kids, you're, you're reaching empty nester stage. All right, let's, let's reevaluate because, quite frankly, your net worth is probably changed, maybe for the positive, depending right. on what college was like. <laughs> um, you know, you might have other people named, uh, the power of attorney, for instance. Yeah. You know, at some point, you've named, probably if you're married, your spouse, maybe a brother or sister, something like that. At some point, you might want to change that backup to be one of your kids. We, we'd like to see a couple generations in the backup mm -hmm. on those documents because Things happen as we age, right? We lose loved ones that we don't expect. Twenty-five-year-old documents might have had your parents, and now you. And that's so. true, right? Um, you know, and and so then it's other milestones that are kind of common. Retirement is mm -hmm. sort of common. People often come in after there's been a diagnosis or a death in the family or something like that. That's a prompting event. Um, you know, I think the other thing is just if it's bothering you. Yeah. You know, if, if you're thinking maybe I should update this, then give us a call. We we work on people's timelines. We're not. You know, we're not high pressure salespeople in here. So yeah. it's come in for the meeting, let's discuss what you've got. And if what you have does what you want it to do, then great. Yeah. We've had a good conversation, we've done a little checkup, you're, you know, you're good to go. And if not, let's talk about what the options are and what makes the most sense for you now and moving forward. Make sure that the documents that you have in place do what you want them to do. So if your subconscious is reminding you, it's probably time. It's probably <laughs> time to do Or past time. Or past time, yeah. How often do you like to review those documents? Is it on an annual basis or three, five years? What does that look like? I think it's good to, for, for the clients at least to take a look annually. Mm -hmm. um, I really recommend that people have sort of an annual family business meeting. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
uh, and sort of sit down, you're probably recommending the same kind of thing. Sit down and just look comprehensively. Look at the finances, look at the legal documents, look at your situation. Has anything significantly changed in the last year? And if it has, talk to the professionals and see, does that affect what you put down on paper? Yep. Um, so I think that's good. The reality is sometimes people have great stuff in place already. I, you know, I have people come in and say, well, my will says it needs a guardian for my minor kids, and they're 26 now. The court's not going to appoint a guardian. They're adults. Right. Like that, it, that goes away. It doesn't matter. Um, but the things that can matter is, oh, my executor was you know, my mom, and yep. she passed away. Well, okay, now we, you know, if we don't have backups who are alive in there, or even if we do, that's now reduced yep. the backups we have. So good time to make some changes. Healthcare power of attorney is another one. You know, is that person that you named originally capable of making those decisions for you? Absolutely. I, especially as kids get older, certain kids sometimes can do a better job than others. So revisiting those, I think, are, are fantastic. But we absolutely recommend an annual meeting, both for goal setting and reminders. And, you know, uh, as you get older, communicating to your kids pieces of that puzzle yes. is always a good thing too. So, And that's a huge bit too, Brent, that so many times, uh, I think this is getting better. I think generally there's been a shift, but people don't want to talk about this stuff mm-hmm. with the broader family. I mean, we encourage people, bring your family in. You know, let's, let's have this meeting. Let's talk about, you know, if you want this particular asset to go to this particular person, let's talk about that while you're alive. Mm-hmm. It's going to cut down on the fights when you're not here. And, you know, it gets people on the same page. To your point, I have clients who say, look, my daughter is a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, I want her to be my health care power attorney because she's well, a doctor. Right? Her, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's who I want to be my, my person making medical decisions for me if I can't make them for myself. But my son's a CPA or, you know, whatever the case may be, he's, he's more organized or has more time or whatever. I want him to be my financial. And that's fine. Like, right. Let's talk about the implications of those documents. Let's talk about who should serve in what role. And make sure that they want to. Right? And make sure they want to. Right. We don't want to just thrust it upon them and be a big surprise. Um, but the other thing is, too, if we bring them into that initial meeting, uh, they sort of know the flags that we talk about, too. Right. So if, if something has happened and mom's incapacitated and the power attorney you know, the agent and the surrogate are stepping in, they can go, oh, I know they said if, if something like this happened, we should probably reach back out and check on things and see if there's something that should change. So yeah, communication is, is huge. Yeah, that's a big part. And the more you communicate, I think the better. And things change, right? They do. So communicating those changes as well is a big part. Absolutely. So what are some of the common kind of legal issues and challenges for elderly individuals that you come across on a regular basis? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple. So... Um, the first thing is the power of attorney and just having someone in place to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. So we find um, people who have pretty basic documents sometimes, and, and we have had um, we've had clients come in who you know they went to a family attorney that they they've used for whatever for decades, right? Yep. And they sort of created this boilerplate basic power of attorney, and now something's happened. Now that power of attorney is in use, and uh, it doesn't allow for the sale of real estate or big thing from our perspective is creation of trusts, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, gifting power, which is, you know, it's a, that's a big thing in a power of attorney. It's a big power to give away, but as we age, that can be something that's important if it comes to Medicaid planning. So um, those are, those are some pretty big issues. I see a lot of confusion uh, on the Kentucky living will. Um, You know, it's a statutory document in Kentucky. We do one for all of our clients, Um, but it is, um, 
the, the legends, you know, it was, it was written by committee. Okay, <laughs> let's just put it that way. It's not the most clearly written document. So sometimes people have gotten one from a healthcare provider or they've gotten one off the internet and they've sort of filled it out on their own and don't necessarily understand the implications of what they've initiated. <laughs> the line about life-saving treatment says, I direct the life-saving treatment be withheld. Now, I am not a doctor, but as a lawyer, when I read the word direct, I think there's no wiggle room here. Right. It says you will withhold life-sustaining treatment. And you know, for most of my clients who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, it's not necessarily they what they level want. one. It's just that. Yes. Uh, and so there's a lot of confusion. I'll see, you know, sometimes people fill out multiple lines. It's, there's just a lot of, a lot of gray area. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and then uh, the big issue is, is financially planning for long-term care. I mean, that's, that's the one that's on a lot of people's minds. Um, and, and I think, again, the thinking on this has changed. It's shifted over time. We, we used to take care of our family at home. Mm -hmm. We switched to more of an institutionalized model in the you know, kind of early 1900s. And now we're sort of, there's a little bit of a pullback to say, what can we provide at home? Because it's probably a better environment. So, you know, I have clients who want to know what can I do to stay at home mm -hmm. um, so we can help with that. But also, what can I do, you know, to get the plan in place to be able to afford a skilled nursing facility if it happens? I don't, you know, I don't want my family to have to worry about this. I don't want to, I don't want to lose all of my resources. Yeah. Uh, and it is, you know, it's a, it's a frightening thing. You think about Northern Kentucky on average for skilled nursing on the very low side, probably $9,500 a month, mm -hmm. all the way up to probably $14,000 a month. Um, and for a lot of people that's going to eat their net worth away very quickly. Yeah. So you talk about different, uh, ways to help pay for that. Obviously, you know, there's, there's self-funding you know, there's long-term care policies. Um, all the way kind of down to Medicaid and yes. what things do you have to get set up to do that? So there's a broad spectrum. I know you talked through a lot of those, but give me just kind of a few pointers on each, why some are better or, or worse than others. Well, you know, I think the first thing is to understand most people that are in skilled nursing beds are, are on Medicaid, right? That's, that's the majority of people. So um, for a lot of the clients, the discussion starts there. That We're going to talk about this thing. Know that, I forget what the latest numbers are, 60 plus percent of people who are in a skilled nursing facility are on Medicaid. So, you know, that's our starting point. Um, Long-term care insurance can be great uh, as long as you fit in that window of time to purchase it. You know, there's a time where it's too early, as you're well aware, and then there's a time where it's likely too late. So you got to have sort of hit that sweet spot. And with long-term care, we talked a little bit about this too. You don't have to pay for all of it with that, right? It can help be a great supplement. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then on the private pay side, you know, there are some people who come in, uh, you know, for couples who have a net worth of more than probably about $2 million or so, they're probably not as worried about Medicaid planning. Um, you know, for an individual, uh, you know, if they're, if they're over a million dollars, you know, probably not as big of a concern for them. But there's a combination too. We're care focused here. So the first thing we're going to talk about is let's make sure, and this is the worry a lot of people have, let's make sure your resources, whatever those resources are, your individual resources as well as available government resources, mm -hmm. aren't going to run out before the end of your life. Let's make sure you're taken care of. And if there's a surplus at the end that can pass on to the next generation, that's great. Right. So, I think we talk a, a lot about quality of care as well. So it's not just about, can you pay for it? Right. Uh, you, you may be able to, or you may have to go to, to Medicaid, but what does that quality look like and, and how do you factor that in? Uh, for a lot of the clients that we talk to that are getting older or maybe thinking about when they get older, hopefully that's the yes. better situation. Uh, is what does that quality of care look like as well? Absolutely. 
And I think that, you know, the quality aspect, there's a couple things there. Number one, I think that's where um, we're lucky to have Suzanne on our team is that we can sort of, without needing to go outside, we can say, look, Suzanne's been in these facilities. She can tell you, what are you looking for? And this is, you know, this is, we can narrow it down, right? To, to kind of help you out. Um, but the other thing is, you know, the in-home side of things. And that's, that's really, um, I think, what people are leaning towards. And I think there is a quality aspect to that. that you know, look, not everybody can stay home. There are, there are right. situations that, you know, home health care just isn't going to fit. Right. And it is the most expensive. If we talk about the full-skilled nursing level of care at home, it's astronomically more expensive than being in a facility. So um, that's understanding that, first of all, and then making some decisions and, and kind of picking priorities. And, um, you know, those, are, those are good deci- good discussions to have while we have our capacity, while we can sort of think about what we would want. Um, and, and it's it's always interesting, too, to see the na- dynamic between generations, too. Because yeah. I'll have parents who come in and say, well, I don't want that because I want to give money to my kids. And the kids are here saying, I just want you to take, take care, care of, of like, get the best care you can. This is your money, you know. So, so it's interesting, just interesting dynamics sometimes. And you, you mentioned a little bit about the cost of care at home. But there's a wide range of care quality, right? Yes. If you just need maybe a few meals throughout the day and so it's a few hours, it can be relatively inexpensive. Yes. So that tends to wane over time where it gets a lot more expensive as you need, you know, whether it's half day care, 24 hour care, it can, can be very different. Yes. Um, and then it's also who do you trust to do some of those. So you know, there's a lot of great networks uh, around, but just figuring out that. So Suzanne, I'm sure helps a lot with those. She does. And, and you know, the interesting, uh, other interesting thing there too is we, de- we define care very broadly, okay? Um, so care can be someone cleaning your house, yeah. that you've just got no point where it's too much for you to clean your house. Somebody, care can be somebody cutting your lawn. Uh, there's lots of different things that, that we kind of lump into that care category. So absolutely, a lot of people think, well, I can't afford care, right? The reality is a lot of people can afford more than they think. Yeah. You know, not everyone needs 24 seven assistance in the home. Some people just need a couple hours a week. Uh, there's great resources for that. There's lots of home health providers in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, for veterans, the VA yeah. has options for not just the medical side of, of in-home care, but also the assistive side of in-home care. Um, so there are there are a lot of options. There is stuff across the whole spectrum. And I think this is another sort of plug for doing things early the earlier people address it, okay, so you, now you're talking the lower cost care things, the better the overall outcomes, okay, so you might be spending a little bit of money now and over a longer time, but in the end, you may end up spending less money because you've been proactive. It's like car, I mean, yeah. I, I hate to liken it to it, but like kind of car maintenance, right. if you do the oil changes on time, you're saving yourself from really expensive car repairs. Well, if you take care of yourself, you might be saving yourself from some things on the road, I, you know, the lawn, for instance. I mean, I know a lot of, particularly, this seems to happen more to older men, but, uh, you know, that get injured doing yard work. Yep. Um, and I, I think, you know, I'm just going to say, as a guy, sometimes we're a little stubborn about our abilities, <laughs> you know. I, you know, I'm, I'm 42, and I, I can't do what I could do at 22. <laughs> sometimes I forget that, right? Um, you know, if we bring people in to do those kind of things for us, maybe even a little sooner than we think we're ready for, 
that can save us headaches down the road because yeah. you know the the lawn mowing heart attack in the middle of the heat in the summer um, may be survivable, but you, you know there may be limitations now on the backside of that that you wouldn't have had before if somebody else was on that work for you. Um, the basement laundry I mentioned before, I mean, a trip down the stairs uh, can be devastating for someone who's aging and you know broken hips. We know that trips, you know, trip hazards of area rugs and any cords and anything else in the house going up and down stairs unnecessarily. Falls can happen. Yeah. Broken hips, people end up in rehab and in hospitals for long periods of time. And then when they get out, they're not as mobile as they were before. Now all of a sudden there's mobility issues. So it just, it's compounding. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so it's, it really is important to sort of look at those options early on mm-hmm. um, and, and make some good decisions to, to be preventative and proactive. Perfect. I agree with you. Yeah, 38 years of soccer and my knees hurt. They didn't 10, 15 years ago. So So talk about some of the kind of tax implications as well from an elder care, you know, as you're planning for a state, um, obviously taxes are coming into play in that. You know, what are some of the things that you look for and can kind of help prevent as you're you're looking at elder care? I'll tell you one of the biggest things that we see uh, is putting your kid's name on assets, right? Uh, and, and people just think, oh, this is, my mom did it with me and, you know, my neighbor did it or whatever. They hear the, the rumor mill, right, of the rumor mill of legal advice and financial advice. And um, so all of a sudden, you know, they've come into us and um, last year they, they went and put their son's name on the deed. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's talk that through for a second. Yeah. So aside from the tax consequences, which I'll get to, what about the liability stuff of, you know, son gets sued and that's now an asset they own or bankruptcy or divorce or, you know, whatever the case may be. Worst case scenarios, right? But that's what I'm here for is to do right. the doom and gloom of this could happen to you. Um, the tax implications are, you know, losing the step up in basis yep. for um, capital gains taxes. So if you've, if you've made that completed gift to your child during their lifetime and your lifetime uh, or your lifetime, I should say, um, you know, whatever you paid for that house is basically what they paid for that house. Right. And, uh, that's not a good situation to be in, particularly with the way the markets have been the last couple of years. And sometimes people have been in their houses for 30, decades. Right? Years, yeah. So, I mean, a house that you paid, uh, you know, I don't know, 30 or $40,000 for maybe, but today it's worth $200,000. Um, you know, if you properly pass that through your estate, whether it's, a, you know, a well-worded trust or your will or whatever, you can avoid some of those issues and you know they get that stuff up in basis and, and what it's worth when you pass away versus what it was that you paid for it um, we say the same thing about you know investment accounts any kind of appreciating asset um, you know we want to be careful about adding adding another owner to it during our lifetime um, so that, that's one of the biggest issues um, often people do come into us because they're worried about estate taxes um, most of the clients we work with, in fact, all of the clients we've ever worked with don't have currently any federal estate. <laughs> very large regulations. Yeah. That number is large right now. Of course, you know, you can never know if that could yeah. change or you know, if it will or won't. But um, Kentucky's inheritance tax is a, you know, a little different animal. Uh, again, for most of our clients and who they're wanting to inherit from their state, we don't have Kentucky uh, inheritance tax issues. But, you know, when you start to get out to the nieces and nephews, yeah. Uh, and the interesting, uh, you know, more interesting we're seeing a little bit more of recently is unmarried older couples mm-hmm. who, you know, want to leave the house to, maybe it's only in one of their names because they're, you know, pretty 
obviously divorced or widowed or you know whatever the situation may be, and they want to leave that house to a partner who is you know, they're not married for you know what whatever reasons are personal to them. Sometimes it's pension you know, pensions that they're receiving that they might not receive anymore if they're married or you know, who knows what. But yeah, Kentucky's uh, inherited tax is one of the more complicated uh, in the nation as well. So yeah, if you've got the single widow widowed woman who never had kids. You know, if they're trying to give money to nieces and nephews, it can get interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's it, it's trying to explain it and the step the steps in the brackets. ABCs. And the, <laughs> it's it, I, I wish we would clear it up. And and again, I I do wish because there are there are lots of reasons. Families look different today than they did you know a generation ago, and um, I think it is unfortunate for our aging population who, for whatever reason, may choose not to get married. That, right. Taking care of that loved one, you know, is, there's going to be a, a tax premium on that. So I hope it's something our legislature addresses in the next couple of years. But it is where it's at right now, and we have to deal with that. Yeah. So switch gears a little bit. Uh, you know, the uh, show goes out to a lot of physicians, medical professionals. Um, what things should they be kind of on the lookout for in their daily interactions with their uh, clients as well? Just to say, hey, have you thought about these things? You know, a lot of them know the documents that they need to have on place, um, but sometimes there they're might be meeting somebody who has dementia, Alzheimer's in their early stages, uh, and trying to make those suggestions for them. Yeah, and I think early stages, right, was a great a great uh, wording there. That is the thing that I recommend to, to medical professionals. I'm speaking to a group of, of care coordinators here in a couple of weeks. When those early signs are there, that is the that is the, you know, the time mm-hmm. to get that stuff. If, if the documents aren't in place yet, that's that window of opportunity to get it done. Um, what we don't want to do is have to go to a guardianship. And guardianships are, um, you know, they're just, they're messy and, and they take away rights. That's the other thing with the guardianships. You're, you are taking away rights. And we want to avoid that for people. Um, it can make it more difficult to do things like Medicaid planning. It's, you know, it's court supervised. All the judges understand why you might want to create this irrevocable trust that isn't naming the person who's being, you know, the ward is the, the legal term, unfortunately. But why are you doing this irrevocable trust that doesn't involve, you know, doesn't have their name on it anymore at all? Um, so, yeah, the earlier the better when you start to see those, those signs. It is good if you can work in the conversation. Do you have someone to make decisions for you in the future if you can or for yourself? Because that's the time to, to make those decisions and to pick those people. Um, you know, I think the other thing is there is a misconception that once there is a dementia or Alzheimer's diagnosis or any kind of cognitive diagnosis mm-hmm. that we can't do any planning. And that's not the case. Right? Um, the, the thresholds are very, if I don't want to get into a law school lesson here, right? But essentially, if the person understands sort of the gravity of what they're signing, what that document does, uh, and, and you know, who they're naming, yeah. with the will, if, if they understand what they own and that this is directing where that stuff goes, they likely are going to have the capacity to sign those documents. Uh, we do have people that get beyond that, right? We've had people who come in um, and, and, you know, we try to have a conversation with them about the documents and they're talking about the weather outside or, you know, a car that they had in high school or things like that and, and just really don't understand the conversation. And unfortunately, in those situations, generally we're probably too late. Now, some people do have good days and bad days, so right. we, we can monitor for that and sort of, we, we have been known to drop other things to go meet a client who's having a good day, but but there does, you know, for many people come a point where you know, 
we cannot do the legal plan anymore. Guardianship has to be involved. And, um, you know, that's that's unfortunate for families. And, and I think, it's a very long-winded answer on this, but I, I do think that most people don't want their kids to have to deal with the guardianship either. Right. Um, so there is sort of a taking care of the younger generation aspect of it too. Of You know, it's not what you want. Yeah. Not a good conversation. Not a, The conversations in here, although I try to keep them lighthearted and engage with my clients, um, that's not something people generally want to talk about, but they need to. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's interesting too, as you, as you age a little bit, especially if you're getting into some of those early stages, it can be a very long diagnosis. Yes. You know, it may be 10 or 20 years, so the earlier that you can take care of those, um, and you know, we kind of always suggest as you're going into retirement, put something in place, right? And so that way you know you have it. It could change. You may have to edit it. Uh, but the earlier that you can identify those and make sure you have everything in place is fantastic. We we named the law practice stages yeah. elder law and estate planning for a reason, right? So there are those stages in our life where it is time to address things. And yeah, retirement is a good a good marker because you know, generally speaking, we're still in um, you know pretty good health and have our capabilities about us to make right. decisions. So why not start there? It shouldn't necessarily be the last you know, ending place, but it's, it, you know, if you've done nothing, it's a good start. Get something place. in place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So what are some other kind of practical tips, you know, as we kind of wrap up that you would say, you, know, you need to mark off these things as you're thinking about whether it's estate planning, elder care, what are those kind of key issues you like to go over? So, you know, we talked about acting early. Um, we talked about not putting kids' names on documents. That's, that's a big one. I think uh, bank accounts is another one, too. And, and bank accounts. A lot of people don't realize you can do payable on death beneficiaries yes. in bank accounts. Now, some people's estate is a little more complicated than what that payable on death beneficiary might do. Um, but that's what we generally recommend. Don't put your kid's name on there. Yeah. Let's do a power of attorney. File it with a bank. That's another good point. Yeah. File that power of attorney as soon as you get it. Don't, don't wait until it's needed. Do it now because the banks sometimes take, you know, at least a couple of days to review those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes there's some like, oh, is this, you know, is this oh, too, so. right. So yeah. do it now, get somebody's name on that account as a power of attorney, and then work on the payable on death beneficiaries. Um, for our, you know, our seniors, if you're not getting the homestead exemption on your house, that's one of the things we check for our clients is mm-hmm. have you applied for the homestead exemption? Uh, there's some tax savings there. Um, unclaimed property. That's another one that we, we try to check for our clients as well. It's a lot easier to do. For yourself than it is for the estate so yeah. a good thing to check out uh, and, and you know I, I think the last thing is um, we live in an internet age where everything is accessible right at our fingertips and there's lots of DIY options out there mm-hmm. um, I'm not gonna say there aren't some you know decent things out there DIY um, but uh, you know as we age the situation gets more complicated mm-hmm. And that sort of base form power of attorney that you found online might not, might not do what you think it does. Uh, and, and we've seen those situations where someone's, you know, fill up paperwork online and thinks they're covered and we review it and realize, well, it doesn't, it doesn't do X, Y, and Z or commonly with wills is it wasn't executed properly. Yeah. And so, you know, it might not be valid at all. Uh, and I think the last thing I'll say is don't write in the margins on these documents. <laughs> like if you want to change things, go to a professional and get it changed because the margin writing just causes headaches down the road. So just get it, just get it redone. Yeah. So it brings you to one question I want to ask you, what's your thoughts on letter of instruction and digital assets? So in our power of attorney, we're putting language in for 
digital assets now. That's yeah. that's a significant portion of what we do. So I was a in my law enforcement career, I did computer forensics for a while. So I dealt a lot with all the federal statutes that involve you know internet and digital privacy. Um, so you know it is important to have documents that address those things. Um, again, it's important that uh, this is where I go back to the whole. Um, family business meeting mm-hmm. every year that your family, whoever your important people are, you name your documents, they need to know where your stuff is. Okay. Uh, and whether that's a paper that you keep in the locked file cabinet or the file fireproof box or your safe deposit box or whatever, that's great. But maybe the, you know, the conversation is, is good to have too, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that we have that we might only have an electronic record of. Yeah. Um, it's not like the old days where someone passed away or someone was you know, incapacitated. You go through the file drawer or the big envelope or whatever it was, and oh, okay, well, they have had a life insurance policy. This, but like, um, we're we're beyond that now, so it really is important to to have those conversations and include that yeah. in the paperwork. So, when well, these days you have a mix of both, right? So you have uh, maybe a parent that has Facebook, but also has the life insurance policy from 1960, right? And so you know, identifying and locating all that stuff. It's not be a chore. And you know, those legacy life insurance policies are always interesting. We do a life insurance as a search we can do for um, our probate clients, but um, you know, always good to have that conversation with mom and dad. Did you take out a whole life policy on yeah. me? And you know, because they might have the wrong beneficiaries, and maybe you can update that. Yeah. Along the way. So I know you practice primarily in Kentucky and soon be Ohio, right? That's our goal. So yeah, okay. we, we deal with uh, Kentucky clients now, hoping to expand in Ohio here within the next year or so. Great. So for uh, people that may be listening and you know, across the country, is Life Care Planning Network a good place for them to find somebody who does a lot of the same stuff that you do, yes. but in their local area? Absolutely. Yeah. If you if you just search Life Care Planning Law Firms Association, the website has an attorney finder on it. Yeah. So you can find law firms. I think I don't think all fifty states have life care planning, but okay. most states do have a life care planning attorney somewhere in the state, and um, you know I think that's a great starting point. You know, you know you're going to find a law firm that has put care as their primary focus, and particularly as we age and there are care concerns coming up, I think that's a, a great thing to have. Um, and, and you know, we we met with a client yesterday. We had to go to their their house to do some signing because their husband's kind of shut in there for now anyway. Yeah. Um, and you know, as we were leaving, um, the the wife was just talking about how much of a relief this all was, and I think that's. That's the thing that, that we deliver and the other life care planning law firms deliver is that sense of, I've got someone to guide me through this thing because I don't know what I'm doing and I'm staying up at night and I'm, you know, I'm not eating, all, all the things. And now the caregiver's having health issues, right? So right. Yeah. if you're in that situation, life care planning, in my opinion, is the, is good, the place, way to go. good resource. Yeah. And, but if you're locally, Kentucky or Ohio, how do they find you? So Stages uh, is our firm name, Stages Other Law Estate Planning, stages.law uh, is the website. We're in Florence, and uh, we we're in and out of the office all the time to meet with clients. So you know, we're not just we're not just telling people you got to come here. Most people are meeting us here, um, but you know when we have people that are in their house, we'll go we'll go out to them, and um, we can do video meetings too. So we've we've done that before where we have you know the, the older the the adult kids are out of town and want to be in the meeting, so we'll we'll work them in. We just try to work with people where they're at. That's fantastic. Well, I certainly appreciate the time today. It's been great talking to you and learning a little bit more about estate planning and elder law. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Great talking to you as well. Absolutely.
Thank you for listening to the Physician Financial Checkup Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a review. You can also find more information on brentbowden.com. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be construed as financial advice. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of any other individual or organization. You should carefully consider your investment objectives, risk tolerance, and time horizon before making any investment decisions. If you are seeking financial advice, you should consult with a qualified financial advisor who can assess your individual circumstances and needs.